Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our episode on Celebrating Spring, Healing Spaces author, Companies That Care, and great sleep hacks. I'm Sherry Snelling. I'm your host. And we're going to drop this podcast on March 21st, which is the first day of spring. And I'm so thrilled to have my interview that I'm going to share with you with Dr. Esther Sternberg, who is the author of a book called Healing Spaces. Absolutely one of my favorite books of all time. Talks so much about how our environments really impact our health, both our mental health, as well as our physical health, which is, you know, as you know, this is something that is very big. It's one of the seven elements of our Me Time Monday program. And so I'm I'm just thrilled to have uh, Dr. Sternberg with us today. And then also um, in our caregiver wellness news, I'm going to turn to the recent Global Wellness Summit. And um, there are some trends that I want to share with you there. And in our Wellhome Design News, I also attended a virtual conference, which is KBiz, which is the kitchen and bath industry conference that was recently held in Orlando. And I'm going to share with you some of the trends that are coming out um, that are really helpful, I think, for both family caregivers and older adults who are wanting to stay in our homes as healthy, happy, and happy uh, as possible and as long as possible. So we'll have all of that to share with you. And then um, we also have our Me Time Monday wellness hack, as always, which is going to be on uh, National Sleep Awareness Week. So we have some hacks on sleep. And then finally, we're going to celebrate two things. One is on March 17th. Every year we have the Companies That Care report. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of that news in caregiver wellness, what's happening with employers and employees who are also in caregiving roles. And then, of course, the Oscars, which is the big Academy Awards, is on March 27th. And unfortunately, I didn't see a whole lot of the movies this year. I hate to say that, but I've got something special for you. And I have just two words to give you a hint. That's coming up in pop culture. And it's Nancy... Myers. So stick with us and let's go now to our caregiver wellness news. So welcome to our caregiver wellness news and You know, it's the start of spring and we've also had daylight savings. So we have a little bit more sunlight in our lives. And I recently attended the Global Wellness Summit and I was really fascinated by some of the trends that are going on um, in lifestyle and in health and in all things wellness. And I wanted to share some of those things with you. But first, I wanted to give a little bit of history around the quote unquote 
wellness industry. You know, um, so many people think that this is really more of a modern trend, something that's really gained a lot of steam and awareness over the last decade and particularly over the last few years. And in fact, wellness is really an ancient practice. So it goes all the way back to, you know, the ancient Hindus and Chinese and even Hippocrates, who is known as the father of medicine back in ancient Greece in 500 BC. He talked a, a little bit about wellness when he spoke about how to prevent and treat disease with both lifestyle and diet, which are key components, of course, of the seven uh, ways to wellness and seven elements of wellness that we incorporate into our Me Time Monday program. So wellness is really not something that's new, but what was the really big buzz of the show is how wellness really kind of got hijacked. And there were conversations around the fact that uh, celebrities who presented themselves as gurus and a lot of the beauty industry products were really kind of taking wellness down a certain path. And so the whole focus of the conference and the summit was to bring us back to those core elements. And, you know, what's really interesting is um, I don't know how many of you know this history, but if you happen to be a resident of New York City, you probably are aware that Central Park was actually not created as this, you know, wonderful, social, beautiful space that people could uh, walk and ride in their carriages or ride on horses because it was created back in the 1800s. It was actually created as a response to the public health crisis that was happening in Manhattan because there was so much overcrowding in the city. And of course, there was rampant disease with typhoid and, and so many other communicable diseases. They felt that creating a space where the common person, common man, could get out and get some fresh air, be out in sunlight, um, do a little bit of light physical activity, like walking through, you know, these these gardens and these uh, with all the beautiful trees and everything would actually help benefit health. And it was actually Central Park was marketed as the working man's lung, which I thought was really fascinating. So a little bit of history there. And, you know, through the ages, we know that being out in nature, being uh, engaging our five senses that we've talked so much about and we do, you know, our brain health hack for Me Time Monday, Wellness Hacks is on brain health and the five senses. But really that connection with being outside, um, listening to nature, viewing nature, um, being able to kind of just immerse yourself in that is, is extremely healthful. And that's the, that's kind of not the new direction. We're going to go back really to the foundation of wellness, which was what everybody was talking about at this summit. So I wanted to share with you a few, um, thoughts and a few things, and I'm going to just grab my notes here. It's really fascinating because this kind of getting back into nature, which is what we were talking about, there were a lot of discussions around um, some of the new activities, like uh, for those of you who haven't tried it, it's called forest bathing, but there are actually guided tours that take you into this immersive experience into a beautiful kind of forest wooded area. And it's, it's a very, very similar to a yoga or breathing exercises. But of course, you're immersing yourself in all of the wonderful nature around you. That's kind of definitely um, trending right now. And we're also seeing a, a rise now in coaches who are being certified as health and wellness coaches. So again, the celebrity influencers kind of on the way out, hate to say it, but you know, what we're looking for are not the folks that are pushing some of these unscientific, no, no evidence, you know, basis for 
or what they're saying. We're really looking for those core foundational health and science type activities and things that we can bring into our lives that kind of give us more of this holistic health and this picture of health. And again, going back to basics. So some of the other things that they talked about, which I just thought were really interesting. So one is um, there was a whole panel about wellness is not about stuff. So again, it's not about consumerization. It's not about, and I, I hate to you know call anybody out, but it's not you know going on to Goop and buying their latest products. It's really about knowledge. And one of the things I found really validating in that is that it's not prescriptive. Wellness is really about finding your own path, but having guidance from experts out there. So for instance, um, when we do our Me Time Monday wellness hacks, you know, we don't just say things like you should get more sleep. You need to get you know, seven to eight hours of good restorative sleep. We tell you why. We tell you what's going on with your brain. And we really focus on what are the reasons why you need to get you know, more than five and a half hours. I've had so many people tell me, oh, I can, I can deal with just five hours a night. And then when I explain how the neuroscience works, all of a sudden there's this light bulb that goes on. And so I think that's really something wonderful. I think it's also something that a lot of women have, have resonated with, you know, we're much more empowered health consumers these days. And this is really, I think, helped fuel the wellness industry because wellness is about gaining that knowledge around our own health. And that's both our physical health as well as, of course, our mental and emotional health. And so the other thing is going back into nature. And when I say nature, I'm not talking about, oh, okay, you know, you should run off into the forest, you know, in the next hour. I mean, there are simple things that we can do. And I talk a lot about this in well Hope Design News that we've done. I'm writing about it in my new book that's coming out called The Snug Home. But, you know, even when we're in our homes and we've had to work from home so often, do you have a window that you can gaze out of and look upon maybe a beautiful tree or some bushes or some, you know, a flower bed or your lawn or whatever it happens to be? Um, just being able to see nature in our daily lives, or as I said, you know, this, this you know, smell of uh, pine scent or, you know, great uh, flowers that are outside your window. Um, all of these things are really healthful for us. And so that's what we talk about when we say getting back into nature and finding some of these things that are really about just the free stuff that's around us that we can really absorb ourselves. And one of the conversations and one of the great panels that I sat in on was talking about how this connection back to our, you know, kind of, it's, it's part of our ancient brain too. It's part of the evolution of us, you know, living outside and being in forests and being able to see greenery, being able to see these wide open spaces. It gives us a sense of safety and security, but also self-reliance. And, you know, resiliency is something that we're talking so often about these days. And we know that there are a lot of people who are struggling with mental health and emotional health is Ill, uh, uh, illness and issues. And resiliency is a big part of this. And so having this kind of connection to nature makes us feel like survivors, right? Because we've been able to, you know, adapt in our environments and survive. And so there's this, there's a sense of resiliency built into this. I think that's actually really key to a lot of the um, things that we're seeing in wellness. And also it gives us kind of this hopefulness 
Now, the other trend and the other um, panel that I sat in on, which was really fascinating, was around wellness travel. And one of the biggest wellness travel packages going on right now is something called the Celtic Wellness Experience, which I am definitely signing up for. My background happens to be, as I've shared with you before, the British Isles, Scotland, Wales, the whole enchilada. Anyway, I thought this was really fascinating. And what they said is there's two things going on. One is we want to travel and experience wellness in the places where wellness has, you know, certain roots or certain foundations. And the and then what we want to do is we want to import that wellness back with us when we come home. And so when we go into our interview with Dr. Esther Sternberg in a few minutes, I'm telling you, you'll find her story fascinating about after the loss of caregiving for her mom, she went to Greece and just, you know, kind of let herself go, took a little me time. And when she came home, the citrus scents that she remembers from that vacation are something now that really comfort her, that bring her this sense of, you know, calm and wellness. And so those are the little moments I think that we're all looking for in our wellness routines and in our practices. And one of the things, of course, that we preach, we preach a little bit here on Caregiving Club on Air is for our family caregivers to find even five minutes a day to just take a pause and look out a window at a beautiful vista, maybe smell a certain scent that brings you back a memory of something, maybe taste something that kind of, you know, gives you a a little thrill or, you know, you can have that little tiny bit of chocolate or something that kind of just gives you a little boost during the day, but whatever it is, take that moment and just reconnect with your five senses and with nature. And so um, before we move on to pop culture, I also wanted to do a shout out because on March 17th, um, uh, annually on the third Thursday in March, we celebrate companies that care. Very interesting. This is an organization that started identifying ways that companies were really supporting their employees. And um, it kind of ties in a little bit to the Fortune magazine, which has for many, many years done the best places to work issue. Now they have versions of that. So there's the best places to work if you're a parent. There's the best places to work if you're uh, a woman. And um, so I'm doing just my little call out to Fortune Magazine and the Great Places to Work organization that works with them. And I'm saying, why can't we have an issue called Great Places to Work for Family Caregivers? I think that needs to be on the list. Or at the very least, I think the criteria for being a you know, great place to work is, you know, do you support the employees who are challenged with their caregiving responsibilities for a loved one? And so I'm kind of on that mission a little bit. And along those lines, you know, right now, employers are really struggling to get workers to come back into the workforce and into the office. And so um, they're looking for different benefits and different ways to recruit a lot of these employees. And one of the things that we know is that, again, going back to our wellness, our emotional wellness, and some of the benefits that employers are looking at in terms of mental health and emotional health are really playing a big role these days. And so I did an article recently for PBS Next Avenue. It was all about what employers are doing in the mental health benefits space. And we'll have a link um, to that article on our episode guide page if you're interested in that. So, um, you know, oh, and then going back to these great places to work, um, I also wanted to point out there is another one of these special issues from Fortune, and it's called Great Places to Work 
if you are in aging. And what I found really interesting about that is that these were senior living communities mostly, and they were rated as far as how well the employees and staff of those communities felt um, their environment was. What I think is great for family caregivers about maybe checking that issue out is that if you have employees who are in senior living and assisted living who are happy, who are really feeling supported by their employer, then your loved one is going to get better quality of care. I mean, that's just a logical, you know, cause and effect right there. So I think what you want to do is check out this issue and look for those companies that really are supporting our long-term care staff and workers because they are part of our heroes. Our family caregivers are heroes as well. But um, I think that could be interesting for you. So you may want to check that out. Um, and so moving now into pop culture. So I gave you a little tease in our intro. And usually on pop culture, I'll talk about movies or books or things that kind of relate to caregiving, maybe send a great message, you know, something that you can check out and, you know, give yourself a little me time and watch a movie or whatever. Well, you know, I, I am a huge movie fan. For those of you who have read my first book, A Cast of Caregivers, the whole thing was a movie theme and a TV television theme. But I have to tell you, the Oscars have been leaving me a little flat the last couple of years. Maybe I'm just aging out of of the current film, um, you know, favorites, but I really didn't see a lot of the films that are up for Oscars. I, you know, I, I hate to almost admit that because I'm such a movie fan, but um, what I thought I would do is a little twist since I can't really talk about the Oscars, which are going to be broadcast coming up on March 27th. I thought what I would do is actually give you my take on the best movie sets that I would actually like to live in. And so my hint to you was Nancy Myers. Now, Nancy Myers is the goddess of fantastic movie sets, particularly I think for women um, who star in her films and the homes that they live in. And I'm gonna give you a little example of this and we'll, we'll throw some photos um, up on our episode guide page as well. But Nancy Myers, for those of you who don't, know some of her movies, uh, Something's Gotta Give with Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson, The Holiday, which is one of my favorite movies. I watch it every holiday season, but that's with Candace um, uh, uh, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet and Jude Law and Jack Black. Uh, that's wonderful. There's also It's Complicated with Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. The Intern, which was uh, recently one of her most recent movies with Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. The Parent Trap, which is the first movie, actually, that Lindsay Lohan ever starred in. And then also uh, Father of the Bride with Kimberly Williams Paisley, who I actually interviewed uh, on her book that came out. And you can check that out on our book lovers um, list, by the way. And Steve Martin. Anyway, the homes that are in these movies are absolutely phenomenal. In fact, I read an article once, I think it was an Architectural Digest, and it said that Nancy Myers movies are like porn for women uh, when it comes to real estate, because it's all about the gorgeous kitchens, the beautiful, you know, living rooms and all of that. And as I said, you, you really need to check it out. I mean, they're just phenomenal. I think probably my Favorite. Well, it's hard to pick a favorite. I will say Diane Keaton's home in Something's Gotta Give, which was out um, in, I think it was in the Hamptons, is that where it was supposed to be set, 
is absolutely, I, I would move in and, and never leave. Uh, absolutely beautiful. But I also really liked uh, Meryl Streep's uh, Santa Barbara home. She It was a little bit smaller home, but it was just, just really well done. So if you really are into interior design and you need an uplift and, you know, maybe around the Oscar timeframe, you want to check some of these movies out. I would highly recommend them. I also want to do a quick shout out because there's a couple other movies that are wonderful when it comes to just beautiful sets or beautiful locations. So one of my favorite movies is called The Thomas Crown Affair. It's the remake, though, not the um, original Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, which I like as well. But the remake with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo, there is a vacation home that Pierce Brosnan's character has in Martinique. Absolutely fantastic. And in fact, there was a rumor that that particular home, which is still family owned, it's one of the oldest um, homes on the island, and it was um, supposedly going to be put up on Airbnb, and I was just like, you know, ready ready to do it. Anyway, it, it never came to fruition, but, you know, I keep my ears open on that one. And then, of course, Downton Abbey, which uh, if you're fans of that, that did go up on Airbnb, and in fact, you could stay in the... Downton Abbey, which is actually Highclere Castle, uh, which is in the English countryside. And uh, Airbnb does a lot of these kind of famous movie homes where you can actually go and stay for a weekend or whatever. So anyway, with all of that great pop culture kind of design news, now we're going to turn to our wonderful interview with Dr. Esther Sternberg, who is the author of Healing Spaces. And she's going to tell us about why the environments that we live in actually play a very key role in our emotional and physical health. Here's our interview with Dr. Sternberg. My next guest is Dr. Esther Sternberg, and I am so excited to have her talk with us today because she is a real expert on the mind-body connection. And let me just tell you a little bit about her background. So her discoveries in science are really about how the mind-body connection works in illness and healing and the role of place in well-being. And she's a real pioneer in this space in, in collaborative initiatives on mind-body stress, wellness, and environment relationships. So um, Dr. Sternberg, Esther, we're so thrilled to have you with us today. And uh, thank you for being on Caregiving Club on Air. I am very happy to be on and thank you for inviting me. Well, I, I want to make sure that our audience knows that you have two really wonderful books. Um, the first is Healing Spaces, The Science of Place and Well-Being, uh, which is one of my favorite books, by the way. And Thank we didn't you. get a chance to talk to about it. But when you uh, I'm just going to tell the audience really quickly, you have a whole section on the magic of Disney and the design of Disneyland and Disney World, <laughs> yeah. which really resonated with me because <laughs> as a Southern California native and I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the Disney Disney brand. So I love that part oh, of your really? book. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then your other book is called The Balance Within, The Science Connecting Health and Emotions. And, you know, there's been so much going on um, with the pandemic. And before we get into the interview, I just want to, we always ask our, our guests, where are we talking to you from today? I'm talking to you from Tucson, Arizona, beautiful, sunny Tucson, Arizona, not too far from Southern California. <laughs> yes, and it is. I know I love Tucson, such a wonderful place. And yes. Arizona is so beautiful. So thank you for joining us. So as I was mentioning, you know, we're kind of now entering hopefully into this post-pandemic phase. And as we went through it, so many of us, of course, were 
you know, in our homes a lot more. We were working from home, probably looking around at the walls and thinking, you know, maybe I need to redo some things. But also we were feeling that lack of control over our own health and our lives. And it brings about a lot of stress. You talk about anticipatory stress, anxiety. How do our environments and the design of our environments help us take back that control and manage that stress? Well, I'm going to unpack that question because there are many questions inside that one question. First, we can talk about stress and how stress impacts the body and your ability to heal and your resilience. And what we know for now decades that we didn't know actually mid-century, 20th century in the 1950s, even when Hans Selye coined the word stress back in the 1950s, it was not really believed by, by the scientific community and the medical community that stress was kind of a real thing. And certainly that stress could make you sick or that the flip side believing could make you well. And that's really what my first book was about, The Balance Within, The Science Connecting Health and Emotions. It was the wealth of real solid uh, research evidence that showed not only that stress could make you sick, but how it could make you sick. And what we know now is that chronic stress, that cumulative load of stress day after day um, is what the kind of stress that makes you sick. Because it's important to know that the stress response, your physiological stress response, where your brain releases stress hormones and your uh, adrenal glands release cortisol, um, you're releasing adrenaline, adrenaline-like molecules, all of those things give you the strength to to focus, the vigilance to uh, fight or flee, to accomplish a task. You know, when you're on deadline, you need that stress response to be working for you. The problem is if that goes on too long or if it happens in the wrong situation or in the situation of, for example, caregiver stress, where it's chronic day-by-day load of stress. And we know that that kind of stress impairs Um, your ability to fight infections. So you get more frequent and more severe viral infections. This is long before COVID, we've known this. Um, You get a lower take rate of vaccine. These are really important during COVID. If you're chronically stressed and you go out to get your vaccine, you're not going to be amounting as an effective uh, antibody response to that vaccine. Chronic stress also slows wound healing, speeds chromosomal shortening, so aging, uh, and speeds growth of certain kinds of cancers. And it's not that stress causes cancer or stress causes uh, the flu. Absolutely not. Other factors cause these conditions, these illnesses, but stress impairs your body's ability to fight those conditions. Now, I went, before I came to the University of Arizona at Tucson, I was a senior scientist and section chief at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And I was studying the connection between the brain and the immune system in rats. And I discovered that the brain's stress center, the hypothalamus, is important in susceptibility to autoimmune inflammatory diseases like arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis. I I showed that in rats. And when you can prove that connection uh, between the brain and the immune system in in research studies like that, then the scientific community sits up and takes notice 
and believes that stress can make you sick. Ironically, about nine years after I made that discovery, and here I was trained as a rheumatologist and arthritis doc, um, I uh, went through a period of extreme stress in my own life. I was a long distance caregiver of my mother who was dying of breast cancer. Um, as any caregiver will know, I couldn't really plan my, my future. I couldn't agree to go to conferences. I couldn't, there were a lot of things I couldn't do because I never knew when I'd have to get on a plane and fly back to Montreal, which is where my mother and my family live. And, um, and so I went through a period of extreme stress in my own life and developed inflammatory arthritis. What a, irony for a rheumatologist to develop. And so I, even though I had discovered this connection between the brain and the immune system and in this animal model, I didn't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. I did not fully understand how stress can make you sick until stress made me sick. Right. So uh, ironically, also, I had just moved into a new house, which is a big stressor, (laughs) moving, death of a loved one, divorce, um, uh, all of these big, things. Big are, events in life, yeah. <laughs> right, huge top 10, top five stressors. So I uh, just after my mother died, I had moved into this new house and my neighbors showed up at the door. They were a Greek couple and they came bringing uh, tzatziki and dolmades and moussaka and Greek food and welcoming me to the neighborhood and invited me to uh, stay in their cottage in Crete. And I went with them only for about 10 days to Crete. And I felt so much better. I healed. Now, it wasn't a miracle cure. It wasn't, oh, just a vacation. I had an aha moment there um, that if I continued doing the things I was doing back in Washington, D.C., eating unhealthy diet, hamburgers and French fries every day, being sedentary, not exercising, um, not taking time for myself or to meditate or contemplate. Um, all of these things I I was doing in Greece and it made me feel better. I was swimming in the ocean every day. I was meditating. I didn't know I was meditating. I was climbing to the top of the, uh, the hill beyond the, the village and um, uh, sitting in the, the at the ruins of a temple to Asclepius and listening to the birds and the and the wind and the trees and looking at the ocean and I, I didn't know that I was meditating but I was meditating right. so it was it doing so beautiful the- I want to be there right now as you described it <laughs> <laughs> it was it was and and so when I came back I changed my life at the time I didn't realize that I was engaging in integrative health behaviors that are so important for healing, for well-being, for reversing all of these negative effects of chronic stress, for providing the resilience that allows you to fight infection and um, and heal. Mm. And, you know, it's so interesting because I think that, you know, there's there's been so much uh, written about now. People are more in tune with sleep science. We're more in tune with meditation and mindfulness. Right, we right. certainly know a lot more about our nutritional needs and all right. of that plays a role in wellness. But I think what's fascinating, and I think it's still untapped for, you know, those of us out there that aren't scientists like yourself, is the environment's 
that we're in plays such a huge role, right? You're you're a hundred percent right. And and that leads me to the next part of the answer to your first question, sure. which is what got me into studying the impact of the environment. So I asked myself when I came back from Greece, you know, I couldn't, you know, when I was stressed, pop over to Greece every weekend, right? So I, I had to bring Greece to me. And I, I asked myself, what were the things about that experience, about that environment that helped me heal? And so you know, what were the things that allowed me to create those spaces that allowed me to meditate or contemplate? You know, how how could I enhance my exercise? Um, how do I enhance social interactions, which is so important? That's another thing that in this little village, all the all the grandmothers shared their arthritis stories with me. So I was part of this little group. And um, and that's really important in healing. Too. The built environment can help you shape your lifestyle for a well-being lifestyle, or it can harm and it can make you stressed. Your body knows that your environment is stressful, even if you don't know it, because we take for granted stressful environments like anybody who's gone through an airport knows, right? You know, right. Yes. most airports, yes. <laughs> most hospitals are stressful places. They have loud noises, foul smells, um, mazes. You can't find your way. A maze is a very stressful thing. Bright light that glares or dim light where you can't see where you're going. Um, All of this is stressful. And, you know, you can intentionally design a a place to not only not have these stressful elements, but to incorporate elements that encourage movement um, that help uh, reduce stress, that encourage um, um, social interactions, access to healthy food, um, access to spaces to meditate or contemplate, um, and places and features that can help sleep. You mentioned sleep. Sleep is really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's vital. Um, Yeah. Well, and I just want to, I want to jump in because, um, you know, I think what you touched on something and that is that, you know, stress is somewhat invisible to us, right? Now, maybe long-term, as you said, chronic stress, we're starting to feel the effects of it, but, but very often we don't. And we don't, again, realize that just the slight difference in, in our environment. Um, one of the things I was fascinated by, I came across something about Central Park uh, being created in the 1800s to not necessarily have beauty in the city and, you know, provide kind of this area for exercise or or social engagement, but it was really about the working man's lung. And it was about getting people out into fresh air, being in nature. So I want to ask you, because you wrote about kind of a room with a view and you talked about something, I think it was research in the 1980s around hospitals and how just being able to have that view of nature. So tell us a little bit about nature. Um, I've been passionate lately about biophilic design um, and the trends that that we're seeing bringing nature inside our homes. How how do those things help us manage the stress and and what is is happening there with the brain and, and the environment? That's a great question. The study you're referring to was a study by a scientist named Roger Ulrich, who really launched the field of environmental design. And what he did back in 1984 and published this in the premier science magazine, Science Magazine, um, was he studied patients in hospital who were recovering from gallbladder surgery, 
who were all on the same ward, who had all been taken care of by the same healthcare staff. But some had a view of a grove of trees out their window, and some had a view of a brick wall. And he found that there was a significant difference in health outcomes in the patients who had a view of a grove of trees. They left hospital a day sooner, they needed less pain medication, and they were in better moods as documented by the nurse's notes. So that really launched the field of environmental design. And it's been shown over and over again that views of nature, being in nature, bringing nature into the home has a beneficial effect on reducing stress. In fact, in in Japan, you mentioned uh, going out in in the fresh air, um, there's there's a a kind of uh, experience called uh, forest bathing, where you walk in the forest and you breathe deeply and it's supposed to clean out your lungs. And, you know, we don't really know why all of this works, but there are probably many factors of being in nature. Um, You know, one thing is you are breathing deeply and when you Breathe deeply. So everybody just close your eyes, sit up straight, and Mm -hmm. take a deep breath in. And then a deep breath out. And what you're doing right there is engaging your vagus nerve, your, your relaxation response. That is like a break to your stress response. So that's the quickest way to reduce your stress is deep breathing. So there's yoga yoga breathing, uh, Tai Chi, that both of these combine exercise and meditation and deep breathing, but there's also meditation breathing. Um, you know, there's and Andrew Weil, Dr. Andrew Weil, who is the director of the center where I work here in the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. Um, he has a 478 breathing exercise that you can go online and find out how to do. There are many breathing exercises that can just help you to, in the moment, reduce your stress response, and at the same time, reduce your blood pressure, reduce your heart rate, increase your heart rate variability. So all of these are are part and parcel of what you experience when you're out walking in nature. Mm. Now, how do we bring that nature inside? What, what are the recommendations that you would have in terms of turning our environments into these wonderful things that have nature inside, or at least that we can have the, we can look out a window and see a vista, see something beautiful. So, you know, we've all been working from home or the vast majority. And, and I think it's important to be near a window. I mean, that's the first thing. If you have a view to the outside, even a small tree, uh, whatever it is, if you have a view to the outside, place your your work desk near a window. And that gives you several things. It gives you the view to the to nature and outside. It gives you the light, circadian light, that is bright sunlight in the morning and um, dimmer light, dimmer, redder light in the evening is important for healthy sleep. That's been shown over and over again. It resets your body's internal clock. And we know that caregivers certainly have plenty of stresses that can impair their sleep. And uh, anything that you can do to enhance your sleep is important. Um, If you don't have a view to nature out your window, 
you can bring plants in as long as you're not allergic. Um, I see you have some beautiful flowers in your background. I have a very tiny little green plant there, but I try to um, bring the, the plants indoors or at least have them outside on my deck. Um, if you have a balcony or some, you know, outdoor space, a patio, you know, you can put plants in pots there. Um, when I came back from Greece, that was one of the ways that I brought Greece to me. I, I realized that one of the things that I loved about Greece was in the evening, you could inhale this wonderful fragrance of the uh, lemon trees and the, the citrus trees. And uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. I couldn't have a, a citrus tree, but I put a, a, a jasmine tree or, or bush on my deck. And in the summer evenings, I would sit there and inhale that wonderful fragrance and it would take me back to Greece. And that's actually one way that fragrances can help reduce your stress. If you can go inside yourself and think what what are the what are the fragrances that make me feel relaxed? Is it um, is, is it hot apple cider, spice cider? Is it evergreen smell reminds me of Christmas? What what whatever it is, um, you can also reduce your stress with those kinds of um, uh, fragrances. But if you're going to do aromatherapy. You should, should, then that's aromatherapy, of course. Um, you should have the guidance of an integrative health uh, professional who can advise you which fragrances to use because some of the chemical, synthetic chemicals that are not natural can, can actually irritate. Yeah. So I think there was just, there was actually just a recall. There was a problem with a lavender spray, which of course is something we think about, you know, spraying on your pillow to help you with sleep or whatever, but it was recalled for having you know, bad bacteria or something in it. So you're yeah. right. We have to be so careful about that. What I, what I love about what you said about the window and they go, and again, maybe we don't have the type of home set up, which allows us to do that. But since the pandemic, I have talked to so many people who are inside a closet because that's their converted office space at home. And yeah. I just feel, you can feel like, you know, the, the cave like feeling. And so I think, you know, yeah. as much as we can do, to get outside of those things, at least taking a lot of breaks if you happen to be um, in a closet. Absolutely. And that's, you know, if you don't have the luxury, I'm fortunate I have the luxury to be able to have a home office with a window, uh, which I'm looking at right now, which has a beautiful tree outside of it. But of course, there are many people who don't have that luxury. And if you're living in multi-generational homes, if you're taking care of young children and you're taking care of your uh, elderly parents, especially as a caregiver, uh, you don't have that luxury. If to the extent possible, if you can create a small corner of your house that's not a closet, then that may not be possible. Um, it, it is better. I mean, when I lived in Washington, D.C., um, I originally had my office, my home office in the basement uh, with my window looking at my neighbor's brick wall. And, and so then I moved, I moved my desk up to the breakfast room, which was sunny and I had a beautiful view of the garden and the trees. Um, that's a problem because there are other people in the breakfast room. And so you have to balance these things. If you put a screen behind you, um, and again, if you can't bring the nature in, if you can't be near a window, yes, take breaks, take as many breaks as you can. Um, you know, it's hard with all these Zoom calls back to back, but if you take breaks, um, 
and make a point of taking breaks and walking outside a little bit to breathe the fresh air. Because that's another thing. If you're enclosed in a, in an enclosed space, um, you're rebreathing your carbon dioxide that you breathe out, and that's going to make you sleepy. It's going to make you uh, make errors. It's going to impair your mood. So, um, you know, a lot of these wearable health devices have little reminders. Okay, now it's time to take a break and take right. a little well, so and I, that's, that's I, I love, yeah. And I love that you touch upon the air quality. I think that's something again, that we're starting to think a lot more about, you know, something else from your book that I, I, the healing spaces book that I love that I, I found really fascinating. You actually talked to uh, at least a couple of musicians. I think they're rock and roll musicians and <laughs> they did this pivot in their rock and roll careers and actually went into neuroscience, which I found fascinating, but yeah. talk to us about sounds. Cause we've been talking talking a lot about the visual elements, the aromatherapy, you know, the, right. all the five senses, but what about sound and, and even silence? How, how does that help create healing spaces for us? That's a wonderful, a wonderful question. And yes, well, one of the re researchers that I worked with, Julian Thayer, started out as a jazz musician and actually is still a, a professional jazz musician. He was so interested when he was studying at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, interested in how it is, why is it that certain kinds of music change people's moods? So he went across the street to MIT, uh, across the river to MIT when he was studying in Boston, and he learned how to do uh, measure heart rate variability. He was one of the pioneers in, in the mathematical algorithms that tease apart the variability of the heartbeats and tell you whether you're in a relaxed or a stressed state. So Julian Thayer and I collaborated actually on that very first study that we talked about and, and on subsequent studies looking at the impact of different kinds of sound levels in uh, office spaces on people's stress response. So one of the things we found just recently is that there's an, it's, we call an inverted U-shaped curve of the impact of sound levels, decibel levels on the stress response. Lower sound and higher sound levels um, increase the stress response. So we know, of course, that high decibel levels, like 95 decibels, the, the, the firing of a motorcycle in near range, that's, of course, stressful. Not only is it stressful, it damages your ears. Um, but it was surprising to see that the lower levels were also increasing the stress response, not quite as much. Um, as the higher decibel levels, but still some. Right. I'm going to need to swallow here. Sure. <laughs> <clears throat> so the interesting thing about that is that the level of sound, the decibel level of sound where the stress response was least was about 45 decibels, 30 to 45 decibels. That's the level of sound of a bird chirping. Okay. So when you think about it, I mean, this, I, I just sort of made this connection. I don't know if this is true, but I wonder if the reason that we enjoy the sounds of nature is that those are exactly the right decibel level that mm -hmm. relaxes you, that doesn't stress you. And when you think about, you know, I see your, your little dog in the background there. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> if you're sitting in the park. <clears throat> okay. So if you're sitting in the park 
and you're you're with your your dog or you're watching the squirrels or whatever they're not bothered by the sounds of nature right Right. It's only a sudden loud noise that makes them sit up and look around and get ready to fight or flee, right? That's right. what stress response does for you. So when it's too quiet, a small noise can distract. When it's too loud, of course, it also distracts. Mm-hmm. And there is something about nature sounds, and we call that pink, pink noise, that is relaxing, that can help you fall asleep. You know, there's lots of... you. Know, soundtracks that you can download from the internet um, of, you know, waves crashing on the uh, beach of rain. I love in Tucson, it hardly ever rains, but when it rains, I just go fast asleep. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, so you can download these things from the internet um, and it's much better than, well, white noise is the background noise of like your air conditioner. Um, and, and what happens to the brain is we acclimatize to noise that doesn't change. And so white noise just blocks out other sounds and, and can reduce distraction. But it's not as good as nature sounds that are relaxing. I find that fascinating because, there, again, there's been so much written about white noise and, you know, um, incorporated into a lot of apps for sleep, but not as much written about pink noise and, and kind of being associated with nature. And I know that in your book, you also mentioned that pink noise can even help people who have hearing issues like tinnitus. Yes. Um, so it is yeah. a healing noise. Yeah, it is a healing noise. There are studies and I did a book tour in Australia when the book, when Healing Spaces first came out, and and there was a group studying the impact of um, waterfalls or, you know, running water uh, in patients in the emergency room um, that found it calming. So, you know, yes, there are not that many studies, but they do show that nature sounds are calming. There's there's also um, a a seven-time Emmy Award-winning film composer, Gary Malkin. You might want to look him up whom we worked with um, on on an immersive exhibit at the American Institute of Architects to to sort of demonstrate all this. And we won best in show small booth category. So we were- Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Um, um, But but people asked at the American Institute of Architects, what are you selling? And we said, because we were on the convention floor, we said, we're not selling anything. We're selling a concept. And uh, that was back in 2016, I think. But Gary Malkin um, has created soundtracks, calming soundtracks, calming musical soundtracks. Um, There is another example of using nature sounds at the uh, Phipps uh, Sustainable Landscapes uh, Center at the Phipps Conservatory in in Pittsburgh, where they have a uh, a sound um, creator who created these nature sounds for their entrance lobby that matched the weather outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you have really rain, interesting sounds of rain. And so these things are calming. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree with you. I love the raindrops. That's something that, uh, you know, in Southern California, we also don't get a whole lot of rain. <laughs> so it's really, it's a yeah. kind of exciting to listen to kind of a babbling brook or some raindrops or whatever, you know, um, I, I think what's fascinating about this whole discussion. And as we're talking about it, I, I hope that our listeners are thinking about their own 
home environments and what they might be able to do, or if they're going back to the office, how do you now take your office space and have that, that view or that plant or whatever, but also our older loved ones, because this is all really important. And we don't think as much about, again, their environment. We want to make it safe, like, you know, no trip hazards and, you know, some other things, but we don't think about the view, the noise or the, you know, all of these things, which I think are critical. Um, You know, as as we kind of wind down here and I I could talk to you all day long. So I want to get to, um, you know, uh, the personal aspect of home design in particular. And if we're looking to create more of a well home environment, we all have different styles and tastes, but are there, you know, we've been talking about kind of some universal elements that happen to do with kind of the, the five senses, right? But what right. would be your recommendations for someone who's, who, you know, these are some basics that we can all do that we should be thinking about? Well, that's a great question. And you said the five senses, and that's really how my book Healing Spaces is organized. The first chapters are all about what you see and hear and smell and touch and do in a space. And, and I think what we need to do is go inside ourselves, just like I went inside myself when I came back from Greece. And I said, what of these things really made the biggest difference to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how I came up with the jasmine plant. Um, you know, when I came back from, from Greece, I, I had to redo my deck, which was totally falling apart. You could put your finger through the wood. And, you know, the, the architect said, the only thing that should stand on this deck is air. So (laughs) that's not a good, that's not a good diagnosis, right? No, it's not a good diagnosis. So, so I redid it and without realizing it, when it was finished, I suddenly realized I've recreated my mother's deck. Oh, totally with the wrought iron railing. I didn't want it to be wider than a certain amount because there was a beautiful holly bush there and I didn't want to take down the holly bush. My mother's deck was narrow because she didn't want to take down the lilac tree. So without realizing it, I had created this space that brought me back to childhood. And and I think if you if you can think about what is it that, where is your happy place? whether it's childhood, whether it's maybe your grandmother's place, whether uh, it's vacation time somewhere in the mountains or the beach, what, whatever it is, and take those elements and put them into your home, outside, around the home, um, to create, to bring you back in time to the place that made you happy and peaceful and calm. And I love that. I, I think, and I think that's so important, right? Because we- yes. When we do feel out of control, when we have a sense of, you know, I can't control anything going on, we can get in touch with those, that foundation, right, of our happiness, which was often childhood. And we have control over that. Yes. And just to uh, to give you uh, some tools to help you do this, the, the Andrew Wall Center for Integrative Medicine created an app. It's a free app that you can download called My Wellness Coach. And it, um, and we can, you can share the, the link with your, your listeners. Yes, we will definitely um, do and that. And it helps you, what it helps you to do is it helps you to walk through the seven core areas, or I call them seven domains of integrative health that we've talked about. So sleep, resilience, movement, relationships, uh, spirituality, and nutrition, and environment. And it, it helps you to say, which of these would I like to 
enhance in my life. You're not going to, if you try to do all seven, it's overwhelming and it's going to give you stress, but you pick which one is the most important that you want to work on. And it gives you pointers as to how to work on those uh, aspects of your life. And it helps you to go inside yourself and say, mm -hmm. what is it? Imp what is important to me? It asks the question, why do I want to be healthy? Mm -hmm. Why do I want well-being? Is it because I want to be around for my granddaughter's graduation? Is it because I want to finish this work project? Whatever it is. And that helps motivate you to engage in these healthy lifestyles. Um, so I can also share with you an article that I wrote with my colleagues at the uh, University of Arizona, Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, on embedding the built, embedding these seven domains of integrative health into the built environment around you. And so that's more of an academic article. And of course, my, my book, Healing Spaces, speaks to that uh, as, as well. And I do have a book coming out. Um, sometime in the next year, maybe less, depending on the supply chain. <laughs> um, we all I know. know about the we, chain. Exactly. Un un unknowns, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and all of these things. But wait, yeah. tell us about that. It, well, it's about creating your own well-being workspaces. Oh, wonderful. So watch for that and, you know, start with healing spaces. And this will be the bookend to healing spaces. Well, but if I you want to know about that. stress, go to the balance within. Well, we'll have all of those links and, and you know, um, links to your book and, um, you know, Dr. Sternberg, it, you know, if you want to give us information about where people can, you know, read more about you and, and certainly we'll have links to your book, but um, we're happy to put all that on our episode guide page. And, you know, I, I'm so glad that you said, you know, the seven elements of wellness. We talk a lot about that and I, I've developed some programs around that as well. And I think, you know, in a way you can kind of cross train too. It's like, well, maybe right now I'm going to focus on just this aspect and yeah. you can then, you know, pick something in the future. But what I love is that we are getting back to kind of the basics. I think the wellness industry, if you will, got hijacked a little bit by some celebrities and the beauty industry. And it kind of started, you know, veering off to the right here. And I think we're bringing it back on track because it is really, most of it is free. It's things we can just yes. do ourselves and think about. And, and really that self inner reflection is really important. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. It's just been a wealth of great information. And are there any last thoughts or, or ways that people can get in touch with you if, if they're interested? Oh, uh, well, I, I can share my website with you and, um, and they can get in touch that way. And uh, it's been a great interview. I, I just love talking with you. I could talk with you all day. So thank Bye. you so much. And, and, and I would say to the caregivers, my heart goes out to you. And, you know, you've probably heard this over and over and over again. But um, it's like when on the airplane, they say, put the oxygen on before you take care of others. Taking care of yourself is the best way to take care of your loved one. And I certainly learned that the hard way by not taking care of myself. Um, and so 
if any of this can help you, I, I hope it does. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And, and again, I think, I think what you shared with us is so valuable because yes, you were in the trenches as we all know, and you get so focused on your loved one, but some of the things you shared about bringing Greece back with you and recreating your mom's deck, I, that really resonates with me. I think those are wonderful ways to help us heal. And we know when we're, when we have wellness and we have health and healing, we have happiness. So it all kind yes, of goes together. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you again. And, and again, Dr. Sternberg, Esther, it's just been wonderful talking to you. So thank you for being on our podcast today. And thank you so much. Thank you. For our well home design news, I wanted to share with you some of the things that we're seeing at the recent uh, kitchen and bath industry uh, showcase, which was the conference that the industry holds. And it was in Orlando, Florida, but they also did it virtually, which is how I saw most of everything. And this is where all of the designers and manufacturers and everybody comes together and looks at what are the trends over you know the coming year or years. So I wanted to share with you a few things that I saw. Some great that we really love. And I was looking at it, of course, with an eye to universal design, which is what we talk about, um, particularly for our older loved ones who are wanting to live in their homes as long as possible. How do we need to do things that help them kind of adapt? And what are some of the latest, you know, assistive tools and designs and things that are out there as well as um, giving them accessibility and kind of that freedom. And then I think it's really interesting because for those of us who are family caregivers, you know, these, these things are ageless. A lot of these designs are not necessarily, okay, let's design for just an older person. It's really designed. This is what universal design principles are all about. It's designed for someone who is, you know, younger all the way up to somebody who is older. So I think for our own homes, these are also great things to think about if you're looking at doing a remodel or just upgrading some of your appliances and other things. So let me read to you some of the notes that I took on some of the trends that I saw. You know, no surprise, because as I mentioned with our Global Wellness Summit in our Caregiver Wellness News that I talked about, you know, this whole getting back to nature, really tapping into in well home design, we call it biophilic design, which means love of life. And it's really, again, it's about immersing ourselves in things that are a little bit more natural and giving us a sense of whether it's a view on nature, bringing nature inside, you know, such as indoor gardens and plant life and living walls and all of those kinds of things, making sure that we have these wonderful windows uh, that we can look out of. And then um, certainly some of the other appliances and some of the other design, you know, using natural things like wood. Wood is a huge theme, by the way, for, you know, the trends, if you will, in home decor and home interior design and wood that is um, more natural. So for instance, there's something called a live edge. So the live edge is where actually it's, it's like the, the trees outer, you know, outer side, it's not um, sanded and it's not beautifully buffed down to be really smooth. It's um, it's still smooth. So you're not going to hurt yourself because it's all a lot of more, you know, epoxied or, or, you know, glazed over, but you can still see that kind of curve 
to the edge. And that's that's another big trend, by the way, curves. So whether it is a countertop, whether it is a couch, whether it is, you know, um, things that are, you know, chairs or even things in your bedroom design, everything has curves. So everything is looking for kind of those soft, almost kind of giving you a sense of waves, if you will. So kind of that, that flow psychology that we talk about a lot. But biophilic design is definitely huge. It's big. It's here to stay. And what's fascinating is no matter what your style aesthetic is, so let's say you tend towards more of the modern, maybe you have a lot of the metals or, you know, um, kind of uh, the the grays and slates and, and all of that, the wood elements will still work. You can still incorporate something like wood into a modern design as well as a traditional design or an eclectic design or Japandi, which is that blend of Scandinavian and Japanese aesthetic. Any of these different style aesthetics will really uh, work well. And we'll, we'll have some images we'll throw up on the episode guide page. But also I wrote an article on the 2020 to home design trends that really address universal design and helping older loved ones stay in their homes. So you can check that article out. We'll also put that on the episode guide page. So something else that of course is going on is color. You know, I think everybody was just so done with our lockdowns and, you know, sheltering in place. And um, we want to bring the color back into our lives. And this is one of the reasons why at Caregiving Club, we chose the year of living colorfully as our theme for this year, because it really is all about bringing color back. Now, it, again, if you, you know, everybody loves their white kitchens, those aren't going anywhere, but we're seeing a lot of pops of color. So in the counters and in the cabinets and, you know, in different things, um, even if it's just accents in the kitchen, we're seeing pops of color there. We're seeing more color in the bedroom. We're getting, uh, you know, a, away from some of the muted shades and really going with some rich, vibrant color. And the two colors that we saw the most are green. And I've got my green jacket on if you're watching us on YouTube and also kind of this rosy hue. And so um, in my article, I write a little bit about why that plays into color psychology of optimism, of regrowth, of regeneration, which are all of these kind of words and, and themes that we're hearing now in health and wellness and certainly in our well home design. Um, but, you know, color is big and, and actually March is National Color Therapy Month. So it's perfect. Perfect timing to be talking about color. Um, the other thing is, you know, when it comes to our finishes, the golds are still very popular that we started seeing last year, the brush golds though. And then something else we're seeing is a translucent black metal finish. Now this works sometimes um, for certain faucets. Uh, but one of the things that we saw happening that we really didn't like that I would say was a big no-no at the show is that we're seeing a lot of the faucet handles and they're calling them wheel handles. And they almost look a little bit like an old fashioned wagon wheel. We're seeing those as doorknobs and we're seeing those as faucet handles. And I'm like, eh, that is not going to work for universal design. We know that twisting and turning those wheel handles is not going to be good, particularly if we have arthritis and other issues. So I would say down with that. And I wanted to kind of just like go around and, you know, give little notes to all of the manufacturers to, you know, be thinking a little bit more about some of this universal design stuff. Um, the other thing is the evolution of induction. So induction cooktops, um, have, you know, been around for a while, but they're really kind of coming into their own. And one of the, I had an interesting discussion with one of the manufacturers and, you know, one of the things about an induction cooktop is that 
It could be a good alternative for your loved one, particularly if you are trying to upgrade their stove for a couple of reasons. One is because it only, you know, it could help with not getting burns because um, it will kind of shut itself off or it'll go cooler um, if you've forgotten and walked away. We talk also about something called iGuard stove, which helps with not allowing those fires to happen, particularly in the kitchen, which is where we so often see it, particularly with older adults who have forgotten that they left their stove on. But also it's just, it's cooler temperatures. Um, It's a little bit easier uh, for them to cook with uh, rather than the traditional kind of, you know, griddle type stovetops. But the one thing is, is that it does have magnets in it. So if you have a loved one who has a pacemaker or some other kind of implanted, you know, defibrillator or something like that, it may not work. So you've got to be careful about that and really pay attention to whether or not that is going to be you know, uh, accessible for your loved one, but induction is definitely here to stay and definitely on the rise. We're seeing mostly induction cook stops or cooktops. The other thing is that, you know, experience spaces. So we talk in, uh, in our last episode, we or two episodes ago, I think we talked about, uh, sanctuary spaces that was in episode three. So you may want to check that out. Um, those are still big. And um, definitely flow within the home. So open spaces are not going anywhere. Although some people are talking about putting up a little bit more of an entry or a little bit more of a wall, but the open spaces are really great. And again, this goes back to our ancient brain. The neuroscience is we feel safer and more secure when we can kind of see our environment and then we know what's going on. There's a sense of, of calmness with that. So open spaces are really great. And then these flow spaces where we're kind of indoor, outdoor living and we're flowing you know, from outside to inside um, and vice versa. Those are still very, very popular. So there's a lot going on in terms of outdoor um, environments and a lot of the decor and appliances and things. And then finally, and again, I wrote about this uh, in an article for Thrive Global called A Brand New Hue, air purifying paints are huge. They were, you know, the big talk, you know, Sherwin-Williams does a paint collection called Living Well Collection. Um, But you can also look, they also have kind of these super paints that have these air purifying elements to them. So that's something that I think is also really great and helpful for your older loved one. If you're thinking about maybe repainting or um, they're thinking about repainting, definitely tap into some of these newer paints, which, you know, help with kind of the, um, the bacterias and the odors and other things that really make things a little bit more give you more cleanliness and also help with overall wellness and just, you know, breathing and air purification and all that. And air purifying, um, uh, air indoor air quality is also a huge thing. We saw a lot of talk about incorporating a lot of those elements into the home. So with that, you know, I thought that that was just really interesting. And um, as I said, um, you can read a little bit more detail in the article that I have on the episode guide page. And now let's go to our Meantime Monday wellness hack, which is all about getting great sleep. I'm Sherry Snelling, and welcome to our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode's wellness hack, we focus on the science of sleep. Restorative sleep is regenerative, and it's essential to both our physical and our mental wellness. CDC data shows that 30% of Americans don't get enough sleep, which is defined as seven to eight hours of restorative, uninterrupted sleep. 
Other studies show 50% of those over age 65 do not get enough sleep to the point it has a negative effect on overall physical and mental health. And the Care Wellbeing Index survey of 2020 showed 62% of family caregivers did not get enough sleep during the pandemic. We've become a 24-7 digitally alert world, and all this technology is not letting our bodies recharge at night. Over the last 100 years, we are actually getting two hours less sleep a night. And this plays a role in the national increase in obesity, cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, depression, and anxiety. When it comes to sleep, we have to think of our bodies like our smartphones. We need to recharge our phones every night. So the next morning, it has enough battery power to make it through another day. If we don't recharge the phone, the battery dies and the phone will not work. So our bodies are the same type of machine. We need to recharge in order to keep going day after day, both in body and in mind. Now, sleep is essentially when the body goes to bed, the brain goes to work. I call this the neuroregenerative night shift. The brain clears toxins and debris during sleep through its cycles of REM and non-REM minutes. Think of the brain and sleep like a washing machine, washing clothes. The brain needs four cycles to completely clear the brain of the day's interactions. Essentially, REM or dream sleep happens every 90 minutes. This is when our bodies experience temporary muscle paralysis. And meanwhile, our brains are modulating the day's emotions. Remember when your mom said, just sleep on it? Well, this is exactly what's happening in your brain. We are cleaning out the toxic feelings that we have, the emotions that we have, and we're moderating some of those anxiety, depression, and other emotions that we have. Now, non-REM sleep happens about three times a night, and they last for anywhere between five and five, 15 minutes, um, with the third cycle actually lasting a little longer. And this is where we have a lower heart rate and a lower body temperature. Now, this third non-REM cycle lasts about 40 minutes, and this is when our brains do a really deep cleaning cycle. When we don't get the full seven to eight hours of sleep, we rob the brain of its ability to have enough of these cleaning cycles. This results in cortisol, which is the hormone that creates chronic stress that can interfere with our REM brain synapses in the hippocampus, which is the memory region of the brain, and the prefrontal cortex, which is the behavior and decision-making um, area of the brain. And this can all lead to numerous health issues. So people who get five and a half or less hours of sleep per night feel groggy, less alert, unable to focus the next morning. In fact, one study found five and a half hours of sleep is the equivalent of having a 0.05 blood alcohol level the next morning. So our first sleep hack for you is Getting into a routine. Routine is key. You cannot get five hours one night and expect to make up for it over the weekend. In fact, going to bed and waking at the same time every day, even on weekends or vacations, is essential to maintaining your circadian rhythms, which is your body's internal clock that regulates your 24-7 sleep cycles. 
When it comes to older adults and those with dementia, routines are even more critical for the regenerative energy and calm gained from consistent sleep routines. Women who are going through menopause may struggle to get good sleep. Postmenopausal women are two to three times more likely to have sleep apnea compared with premenopausal women. And we know exercise and acupuncture can help, but be aware that hormone replacement therapy has not been known to improve your sleep. When it comes to getting sound sleep, we think of silence, but actually our brains are sometimes anxious when there's too much silence. It is sounds that can help us get into a restful state. So our second sleep hack is to get pink noise. Now, most people have heard of white noise to help you drift off, but actually pink noise may be more advantageous for sleep and is shown to help calm our bodies and allow us to remain in a safe, anxiety-free state of slumber. Now, there are actually three main color sounds or what we call sonic hues. They are white noise, brown noise, and pink noise. And here's the difference. White noise is more like the whir of an air conditioning unit or a fan or even TV static. It remains at the same tone consistently and has actually been shown to help some people block out disruptive sounds. Brown noise, which is also sometimes called red noise, is more alarming. And this can actually increase anxiety when you're trying to get sleep. Think of thunder and roaring waterfalls. That's brown noise. Now, pink noise is the closest to simulating nature sounds. Pink noise is like soft rustling leaves, small lapping waves on the ocean sands, soft falling raindrops, or even a human heartbeat. It is because pink noise is so closely tied to nature sounds that many scientists believe it is the best to help us get into a restful sleep that allows for that deep sleep or REM sleep, which is critical now, as we know, for supporting physical and mental health. In a small 2012 study in the Journal of Theoretical Biology, And then a larger 2017 study in the frontiers of neuroscience, researchers found that steady pink noise reduces brain waves, which increases stable sleep. You can find pink noise sleep apps, or uh, you can find them on nighttime sleep machines and even on YouTube. So our third sleep hack is about creating the perfect sleep environment. And here are the elements for that perfect environment. First of all, you want to eliminate all blue light. Now, these are lights that are emitted from our TV sets, our tablets, our smartphones, and even bedside or reading lamps. The blue light is typically from digital devices that tell the brain it is daytime and that you have to stay awake. Also, stop using these digital devices about one hour before bedtime and think about things like maybe blackout shades or blinds or even using eye masks that can help eliminate unwanted light from outside street lamps. Now, number two for the perfect environment is to use nightlights that have a red, orange or amber light hue to that. They will not disrupt your circadian rhythm because they convince the brain it is still dusk or nightfall, so the body stays in sleep mode. 
Number three is keep the bedroom temperature well, a little chilly. It's recommended between 60 and 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which sounds a little chilly for some, but it is better to bundle up, wear socks, and throw on an extra blanket and have your room be a little cooler. According to Harvard Medical School, your body begins to drop in temperature right before you fall asleep. During sleep, your core temperature is reduced by about one to two degrees, and it's a way that we conserve energy. So sleeping in a colder room is actually going to help you drop to that level faster, which will help you fall asleep quicker, and it will help you stay asleep, almost like bears hibernating for the winter. Below 60 or higher than 67 degrees will have you tossing and turning all night. You can also use a ceiling fan, which cools your body and saves energy since it doesn't have to cool the whole room. And the white noise from the fan might actually even help you fall asleep. The fourth thing you want to do is avoid liquids and food two to three hours before bedtime. And the fifth thing is sometimes lavender scents can help promote sleep, but be very careful where aromatherapy sprays and other aromatherapy tools are involved. One spray that was made in India was recently recalled after four people died of bacteria that was found in the aromatherapy spray. So if you're still having trouble sleeping or you keep awakening during the night, you can also try these additional hacks. First of all, write down your to-do list for the next day before you go to bed. This tells your brain the task is completed and then you won't lie in bed thinking about all those things you're supposed to be doing the next day. Number two, don't look at the clock. Instead, sit up and try Dr. Andrew Wiles' four, seven, eight breathing exercise, which uses the vagus nerve in your body to calm your body. So you breathe in deeply for four breaths, hold it for seven, and then breathe out for eight beats. Number three is you might even want to get up and walk a bit. You can go sit on the couch or in a chair until you feel drowsy and continue to do those deep breathing exercises. You can also pick up a book or read an ebook on your tablet, but make sure the tablet is in nighttime mode so that the lighting has an amber effect and not that blue light effect that we were talking about. And also don't read social media or news headlines or your texts. What you want to do is escape into a book, not have to react and, and call your body back into action. You're trying to get back into a dreamy state and not increase your anxiety. And number five, if you've only been getting about five to six hours of sleep a night and you want to get closer to seven or eight, don't try to add one or two hours to your routine. Follow our Me Time Monday philosophy of baby steps. Add about five or 10 minutes a night for a few weeks, then add five or 10 minutes more until you build out up to that one or two hours. It will help your body naturally adapt to sleeping longer if you slowly increase your sleep time. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caregiving Club on Air podcast will feature a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. You can also learn more and about, more about the Me Time Monday program and workshop at caregivingclub.com and check out my wellness articles for my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness edit for a wonderful life. Take care and stay well. 
I hope you enjoyed our spring celebration and National Sleep Awareness Week and Companies That Care episode. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com on the podcast tab and email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well.